Hey, Claire. Hey, Dan. Whew, what a season. No kidding. It really is one we'll never forget. Not only did we completely shake up our operations in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, visitorship was at an all-time high. For sure. So we want to take this opportunity to give a shout-out to the Sawbill crew for all of their hard work this season. Our staff went above and beyond this year and responded to every twist, every new procedure, every long day with humor and grit. I second that. There was so much extra work with so many more visitors than normal and all of the gear cleaning and sanitizing, not to mention wearing a mask the whole time. Thank you, Sawbill crew. You guys are the heartbeat of Sawbill, and we could not have done it without you. Located here on Sawbill Lake, Sawbill Canoe Outfitters has been helping people have successful canoe trips into the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness for over 60 years. We welcome first-time paddlers and seasoned BWCA veterans alike. We want everyone to be able to enjoy their access to this outstanding wilderness. We are grateful to all of our return customers visiting us again this summer and to all the folks that made their first trip up. We'll see you all again next spring. In the meantime, you can learn more about our unique operations here on the southern edge of the BWCA on our website, sawbill.com. We'll even send you a free map and route guide to jumpstart your daydreams of summer 2021. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experiences were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters, and it's, it was really cool. It was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue. Come the northern lights Oh, and in the deep dark blue Come the northern lights Welcome to episode 34 of the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. I am speaking to you from inside the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness sitting next to my co-host, Joe Fredericks. Well, I'm here with Matthew Baxley. We've got uh, an eye out on a slip bobber, more or less just kind of passing the time. Fishing is a secondary a part of this adventure we're on that we're going to take you on today on the podcast, where for the first time ever, we go hunting on the podcast, waterfowl hunting, but it's the first hunting of any type that we've ever talked about or featured or certainly done on the podcast. We have remained committed to... Um, telling the stories of all aspects of the wilderness and, and throughout every season and in the fall all over the country uh, hunters uh, both men, women and children are heading out to um, many, most often put food on their table and in honor of the season and in honor of representing every element that, that the wilderness encompasses we are 
immersing ourselves in the wilderness and in this pursuit today. Indeed we are, and that's just uh, one segment of this episode that we're doing today, and you may even hear some gunshots in the background where there's maybe some other grouse hunters nearby or something, uh, if you hear that. But yeah, we're out here in the wilderness putting this episode together, and uh, a gentleman is on on the trip with us. Matthew, uh, tell us a little bit about who we're out hunting with. Uh, Well, we're going to be out today with Sven Hoagland. Well, actually, I'll be out with him for the entire weekend. Uh, Sven is a resident of Cook County, uh, has been for quite a few years now. Uh, He has met much more experience than I do uh, in uh, the pursuit of of putting food on his table through hunting, both uh, with firearms and with a bow, and uh, is a good friend of mine. And one year ago, I believe, Joe and I were out in the wilderness in October, and we're seeing ducks everywhere, Mm -hmm. and said you know, next year we should come out and try this. And I thought in the back of my mind, though I didn't say it out loud at that time, I know just the person to bring along, well, or to bring us along with him, and that's Sven Hoagland. So we're really honored to have him uh, out here in the wilderness, a place he's already very comfortable being, uh, to do something he's very comfortable doing. Yeah, so that's uh, part of the episode. We're actually going to take you on the hunt or on part of this trip uh, with us, I'm in my solo canoe, and I've got to head out a little bit early uh, today. So that's the opening of the episode. And then in part two, a really interesting interview, Matthew, you recently had with a, another person from the Save the Boundary Waters campaign, uh, Alex Falconer. He's uh, got a unique aspect of <laughs> Speaking of unique things to do in the Boundary Waters, he he has one himself, a uh, trail running and he tells you some some amazing. I love the stories that Alex shares about his personal experiences, uh, but also just this concept of it as well. Indeed, and I'll, I'm going to let Alex uh, talk more in depth about his motivations. But again, uh, another example of his passion, running, trail running, and connecting that passion to his other passion, which is the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness, and in, in that natural way that the those who love the wilderness find a way to do the things that they love in the wilderness. And we're going to hear all about that from Alex today. Oh, I should mention it was a 24-hour trail run. Just <laughs> in case you were thinking, I'm going to hear about somebody going on a jog in the wilderness. No, this is full on. You're going to want to hold tight and, and hear the whole episode today. All right. Well, let's uh, pick it back up. Actually, the, the first night of our trip here, we're going to go back to around a campfire setting here. Best setting. Well, sitting around a campfire on an October night, out in the Boundary Waters, Matthew and Sven out here tonight. Just had a Northern Pike rice and beans dinner and settling into the evening because we are getting up very, very early tomorrow. Shortly, feels (laughs) like, from this moment. But yep. uh, it is incentive to peel away from this uh, warm yet smoky fire. It is a beautiful night, though. The stars are just a spattering all above us with the Milky Way coursing across. Uh, it's almost so bright that you can 
catch a little bit of the reflection of the Milky Way in the lake tonight, which is pretty phenomenal. It's uh, been a good a good trek in today. Yeah, we made a 200 rod portage multiple times, and nice to catch that northern to have some dinner to go. Just tried to get a couple, but we'll take the one and kind of focus in on duck hunting tomorrow. You guys were out doing some bird hunting tonight, and nothing too much moving out there, but you know, saw some birds, I guess. And so, Sven, this is your first time uh, chatting with us on the podcast, and you're kind of I don't know, you're not the, the guide per se, but you're leading us on this hunting expedition. So tell us a little bit about uh, your Boundary Waters experience and you ever been waterfowl hunting in the Boundary Waters or just, in, you know, we know you've done it, but tell us a little bit about your waterfowl experience. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm an adult onset hunter. Uh, I grew up, uh, like I was hell on squirrels and chipmunks in my backyard. Yeah. But, uh, like, my family just wasn't into it. Uh, and when I was 18, my dad kind of got us into grouse hunting. Hmm. But up here, uh, we have a place up on the Caribou Trail, and and we did a little bit of that. But, you know, until I was in my mid-20s, like, big game wasn't anything on the, you know, on my radar. And, and duck hunting was, like, seemed like a cool idea, but I just didn't have anybody doing it. Uh, in my circles and kind of fell in with uh, my brother-in-law you know took me out on a couple of duck hunts and and I was just kind of hooked you know it's fun being able to like interact and you know decoy and call birds Um, and it's just like a it's a fun way to spend a morning watching a swamp yeah Um, I haven't hunted the boundary waters it's been on my radar for a while uh, I have two young kids that kind of keep me out of the wilderness, um, and it's good to be back and, and kind of have a really good excuse to sit around a fire and hang out with a couple of good guys and also hopefully, uh, you know, bring home some birds. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so this is, uh, you know, we, we're we out here. This is largely an experiment, I think it's safe to say. I mean, I you know, just because we're in a situation uh, where our campsite is here is not on the lake where we're actually hunting and we did that sort of by design and one of the reasons why is I was talking with Matthew about I was out camping recently here in in late September and woke up to this just beautiful morning it was a stormy night like terrifying actually thunderstorms and lightning and and woke up the next morning it was just just gorgeous glass calm some trumpeter swans came in uh geese and ducks flying everywhere and and it was like it was great but at the same time i thought if i heard some shotguns right now it would be it would alter the experience that i was having and so we are hunting either by design i I just sort of having that way but we're not hunting on the lake where there are any campsites for that matter let alone where we're camping or anyone else it's the middle of October we haven't seen anyone other than some day trippers out here today but we're not hunting on the on the lake where we'll hopefully be shooting tomorrow and so maybe we'll see some birds we we saw some ducks today but it's not you know a gung-ho I think it's not like what you and I are accustomed to Sven when we've each hunted birds before ducks and this is a different thing happening at least from my perspective yeah I feel like normally when you're putting in the work to like 
go duck hunting, you know that there are going to be ducks there. Uh, and I'm going in completely blind to this lake. Uh, and I'm almost certain that even though we've seen a few ducks, that, uh, that we won't see any more ducks at this point. And, and it, it's like, it's okay if that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, that experimenting with hunting on big water versus, I think you and I are both, you know, grew up in that or like, we're introduced to waterfowling on like small ponds. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a different thing than that. Yeah, it's a boundary waters lake. I mean, there are, there's a, it's a walleye lake. It's, it's not like it's known for duck hunting or, or something like that. So it's, again, it's an experiment and having to lug the, the, the decoys and, and, you know, that's not just your everyday Duluth pack type arrangement. And so that was also an experiment and, and maybe I think even we can say a challenge and we've had to slip over that. We've had to make our way over the Portage Trail because of this uh, process we've we've set up, where we're not camping on the lake where we're at. So, yeah, we're learning as we go, but none this, you know, nonetheless, here we are. Yeah, I think for me the experiment lies in it's experimenting with duck hunting. Period. Since this is my first uh, a go at this ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, sounds like very different than the introductions that both of you had but even just I just want to say after tonight and just the coming in and setting up and we we staked out a real nice spot for the morning and we even set out till till dark uh, Sven and I did while Joel was out catching our dinner and uh, just that blissful experience of Sit, you know, we Sven and I even talked about it. Sitting on the ed, on the edge of a Boundary Waters lake, you know, no motors, no, no. I mean, there wasn't anybody on the lake, mm-hmm. and watching the colors change and the light fade, and just talking about life, and uh, you know, I'm sold on that so far. Mm-hmm. And you throw throw in some ducks, and uh, that seems like it'd be pretty good. But all in all, I'm I'm suspending my verdict until Sunday when uh, my experiment will be complete to see if I'll come out and do this again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, too, it was also when we set out to do this, it was just the idea of maybe getting some education out there about the fact that it is legal to hunt waterfowl or grouse, you know, upland or, or waterfowl birds in the boundary waters so that it's just something I've never really heard much about. No, we don't talk about it often. I don't hear many folks talking about it often either do no. you Sven? no not at all you no. know and i do have to say like matthew you be in game for your first hunting experience period to be like dragging decoys into the boundary waters <laughs> uh and then like maybe not seeing any ducks that you can shoot at uh is pretty cool that's yeah. like not what most people want to do right away well i I consider myself a uh, game for just about anything once uh, and it's always fun no matter what right to dive in and, and see what it, whatever new experience is going to be like so I'm having fun no matter what and I will say I mean tonight we did see some ducks that one could have shot at mm-hmm. if one were ready to shoot 
uh, and that one being myself, where <laughs> I, uh, we were just kind of just getting ready to set up our spot, and we had some real cool flyover experiences, and that enough gave me enough anticipation that I want to see that through to completion. Yeah, and that's we kind of made an adjustment of the plans. We weren't necessarily going to double back to the lake where we're hunting tomorrow. It was very windy on the lake where we're camped here, and so it's just a bigger lake. Or for whatever reason, the wind was just really sweeping through here, so it made would have made fishing impossible almost here. And it was even a challenge where we're hunting tomorrow too. So it was maybe good to though get over there and kind of get that first. You know, now you've had a taste of it. You kind of have an idea of what it's going to be like sitting there with a firearm in your hands and and ready to go so that in the morning when the hopefully you know you get another opportunity that you'll be you'll be ready you'll kind of have an idea of okay this is this is what it looks like here we go yep it was good it was a good introduction ease into it yeah so we'll pick it up uh in the morning we're gonna get up very early i'll set the alarms for about 4 30 and we'll be having some coffee quick portaging in the dark and and getting all set up uh you know in the dark and we'll we'll pick it up Either during the hunt or after the hunt or somewhere along the way, we'll we'll be back with you. It's uh, what time is it? Do you think, Sven? Five uh, fifteen. Five fifteen. Pre-dawn. Portage. Over to our hunting spot. Uh, you know boundary waters sort of thing moving on through portage isn't tough but it is long helps not to have all the gear got Sven back there hey buddy hey dude can't even see ya just a big old light kinda dark man yeah It's uh, the earliest I've ever been up in the Boundary Waters, that's for sure. kind of like it. kind of gets me going. Just be nice to see a moose on this portage trail. Also unexpected. It's Saturday morning, actually just afternoon at this time. The sun is shining down on us, gracing us with its warmth. There is not a cloud in the sky at this moment. Mm. A ripple across the water. And it's an incredible contrast to where we were three hours ago. The day started before dawn with a quick boil of water for coffee, packing up the few things we needed, doing the 200-mile, 200-rod portage. Felt like 200 miles. Sure did. And uh, watching the the sun rise in the distance before disappearing behind a thick, gray, dense, cloud-covered sky. And a really nasty, cold, nor'wester wind. And that's how the day began. 
It was quiet. And now we've got some ducks in the tandem canoe. And we're sitting here just roasting in the sun and about to part ways here uh, Indeed. At, at this juncture of the trip. But it's been a, a varied morning, uh, different types of hunting that we did and and ultimately successful and quite frankly heck of a lot of fun yeah this was great this was more fun than it was looking like it was going to be at eight o'clock this morning <laughs> take us back there Sven. it was cold mm. uh and you know the morning started off i mean coming off of that portage and realizing that the wind had switched uh you know enough that it was pretty obvious that there weren't going to be ducks flying into that decoy spread um was like a little bit disheartening right but we were kind of committed to to using that spot and regardless there were no ducks flying to fly into that decoy spread or not and and then just that feeling of like man maybe there aren't any ducks out here mm-hmm. and uh also just being cold and in my case really wet uh you know, it kind of wears on you. And then we decided that we were going to try something else and go see if we could find where the ducks were. Um, Joe all morning was adamant that there were ducks on Mm. the lake and that we just needed to go find them. Mm. There's ducks out there. There's gotta be, I can feel it. There's (laughs) gotta be a duck on this lake. Let's go find it. And, uh, finally we, we took all our stuff, uh, threw it in the boats and and paddled around and we you know we found some ducks uh and put a sneak on a duck for matthew and matthew was able to get his first duck and i mean that man yeah i mean that was so cool that was like textbook first duck textbook any duck Mm -hmm. like that's what you want it to look like and and I think that like that really lifted the spirits, especially mm-hmm. after watching ducks fly out of there right before that. Right. I mean, you at that point seeing a couple dozen ducks fly out of that oh. spot were like low. I was. I low. think you said I taste the despair. I did. <laughs> especially as I saw them just leaving the lake. You know, they've taken mm-hmm. off over the ridge. Yeah, they're gone. And... Right. They're they're never coming back. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, Luckily, there was a straggler. There was a straggler, and uh, that straggler's now going to be dinner. Mm-hmm. And then uh, having that same experience, you know, a couple more times today, yeah. you know, you and that mallard that you missed. Oh, that that was another taste. Yeah. That's all, and that's, that's all right, though, right? I mean, that's part of both of the the interest and development of a duck hunter. I mean, I missed so many ducks when I first started. It was different types of shots. The first was flying, you know, fast across the water, textbook, as Sven was saying. And then the second one was more of a, you jumped them and you went straight yeah, up. I didn't and, expect it. Yeah, and it's that, how to deal with that, you You're know. startled. Yeah, whoa. And that's a nice looking duck, though. <laughs> It was it was huge. I thought it was a goose for a second. Yeah. But you know, Joe gave me great advice after that. He said, "You know, LB, before you before you take your shot, just pause and take a breath." And I thought that was good advice. And yeah. I think Sven exemplified that uh, with his experience as a hunter. When you got your bird, that that's kind of what happened. Is you you took that 
you explain, you know, you process through. No, there's no panicking. That's kind of the key. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, that miss was like, it, I didn't even register the miss really other than the like, okay, you have it. There's a second shot and, and take the second shot and make that count. And, and that shot, you know, it worked out. So let, let me just set the stage for this. Cause yeah. I, I, I had a really great vantage. So I was approaching along the shore, uh, from the South and uh, it was a, a small bay with a tight entry. And Sven's coming in uh, the opposite side of me, uh, probably more towards the east and north. And, and you know, he's right up at the edge. And when he's getting in there and then, you know, I couldn't see any any birds, any waterfowl. Did you know that there were ducks in there? Uh, I had a feeling that there I were. Because I knew that there were half a dozen ducks in there. Like, I had seen them. Mm-hmm. So it was, like, 100% certain that there will be ducks flying And you were ready for it. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, instead of what I hoped was, which would happen, which they would take off out of the narrow opening towards me, they took off almost straight up. Yeah. You know, they just started to do a steep climb, pounding their wings hard, and I hear, bang. I don't see one drop, and then I hear a second bang just as they disappeared out of my eyesight behind some trees, and I just saw a big poof of feathers and uh, some hollering. <laughs> Heard the hollering. So so slow that down for us, Ben. How does that translate into this, like, taking a breath, slowing the whole process down? Yeah, I think, you know, one... My situation was different than yours because I knew that there were ducks there. Um, and I had a moment to, like, I rounded a corner and saw some ducks and knew, like, these ducks are taken off as soon as I'm done registering this thought. Uh, and so the gun was up. And, you know, it's just, for me, you know, we were talking yesterday about, like, leading ducks and I was really close to those ducks, you know, like that was not a very long sh- or hard shot. Um, but we were talking about like leading ducks and how it's not exactly what you think it is. It's just following through mm-hmm. um, and like not shooting at where a duck was. And I think the first my first shot, I was shooting at where a duck was and that, you know, that second shot was, you know, everything was reprogrammed and just like. Mm-hmm. It worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so you guys have uh, a nice dinner ahead, a nice day. Still, you got more hunting to do and and more adventuring. And this has been this is a different type of experience. We've been in contact with different parts of the land that we normally don't walk on or or get this close to shore so much. And it's been a really unique experience. We haven't seen anyone. You know, it's October here, but it's just a gorgeous day and. And I think it's worth addressing that, you know, we haven't talked about hunting in the Boundary Waters ever on the podcast. And, yeah, we haven't seen anyone. And as far as we know, we haven't really disturbed anyone's nice day or anything like that. But even even just uh, this notion of killing birds or animals, living creatures on our trip, you know, we do that while we're fishing, but never, never in this manner, never with a, a gun. Uh, so, oh, but some of our listeners m- might not be, you know, they might not appreciate it even what we're doing or, or understand why we're hunting ducks. But 
I've had a great day. This is something I'd like to do again. I agree, Joe. And, you know, I I think I talk enough about this on the podcast, but I do feel like I have a very intimate connection with the wilderness. And I would I don't know if I've said this before, but to me it's a very sacred relationship. And I was a little concerned about how, you know, killing a bird that I see, you know, that I find so beautiful could disturb that. But I have to say that, you know, holding that bird in my hands and feeling its weight and its warmth, feeling this connection with it and this gratitude and just pausing in that moment for, you know, a length of time to feel that connection and to me, it's it's just an extension of the beauty and the appreciation and the, and that intimacy and sacredness that I already feel. I feel like this experience has deepened it. I feel that too, and that's what I mean about the, really enjoying the experiences. This has been both inner, you know, fun in that sense, but also really I've enjoyed this on the land, off the land, the the. The challenge of the whole thing, the cold, yeah. now the comfort, um, and it's October. You know, it's a it's a reason to to come back out and stay stay in the boundary waters mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and do something new. And it's it's a, a certain time of year. You know, nobody's going to ever be out hunting birds in June and disturbing people's canoe trips. So it's a it's a very quiet time in the wilderness, and and we're just doing doing this. And and I think I'd definitely like to do it again i agree and i actually think my overall respect for for ducks and and birds out here is immensely magnified now just i mean they're keened in they're They're hard and they're just hardy right yeah like you're hardy to be bobbing around on the water right now and then like you were saying like really tuned in i mean there were a lot of ducks that saw us from a long way away mm-hmm. and knew that that was no good mm-hmm. and sven you know you listen to a lot of uh you know really well respected hunters and anglers across the country either audio or or whatever platform mm-hmm. they use and and you hear that a lot from hunters in particular uh big game hunters bird hunters that uh, they have actually a much higher degree of respect for these animals than maybe the casual observer does because you know we're understanding their ways in yeah. in a sense and today. just interacting with them yeah right? in a in a completely different you know different way and like when matthew was holding that duck which is like you know the first duck that you've shot or like there's a lot of intention that goes into that and you know, standing there, like there's, there's some back padding and back slapping and hooting and hollering, but there was also like that moment of just watching you lean into all of those feelings of like, Mm -hmm. you know, wow, this thing was moments ago alive. It's still warm. It's what's going to go on our macaroni tonight. Um, and, and probably a whole host of other really complex feelings and and, you know being able to support you through that Mm -hmm. and like acknowledge that and at the same time you know say congrats dude that's an awesome shot and a you know going to be a really tasty duck Mm -hmm. yeah and i want to say say thanks to you sven for for of course being here but uh also making this trip possible wouldn't wouldn't have been uh we wouldn't have been able to do this without uh, you being involved, so thank you so much for for being yeah. here today and being on the podcast. This, this is great. Yeah, thanks for getting me out, guys. This has been a gas. 
is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast Alex Falconer, who just completed a 24-hour trail run through the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness on the Border Route Trail, and here to tell us a little bit about who he is, why he chose to complete this journey, and uh, what it was like to be out there. So welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks so much. I'm really glad to be here. So for those of our listeners who don't know you, uh, could you introduce yourself and share just a little bit about who you are? Yeah, I'm a lifelong lover of the North Woods. I've uh, been coming up here as far back as I can remember. Parents, grandparents, it was always you know the big summer destination. And now my wife, Eric, and I have our own three kids and we get to watch them explore and visit the wilderness um, through their own, through, through their eyes. And it's just, it's just a, a new, a new joy that we have just seeing them explore, uh, see the Boundary Waters, uh, the North Shore from their perspective. I mean, it just gets us back in touch with how much fun it is to just skip rocks for hours on end or play a game we call spruce boats where you take a pine needle and poke it into the little sap bubble on a black spruce tree. And then the hydrophobic nature of the oil and water pushes the pine needle across the lake and they just have little races. And, you know, it's just like those things that you can just experience in nature and just be consumed by everything around you. That is just one of the things that is just so uh, special about this place. So you're doing a lot of uh, family adventures, it sounds like, in the Northwoods and, and in the Boundary Waters. Before we get into what you've been up to recently, uh, can you tell us how you were introduced to the wilderness specifically? I mean, it's it's just one of those things that's, I, I don't even know if it's like a specific point. It's just something that our family has always done. It's just part of our, our you know, our legacy. Um, and so it's just, it means everything to me from, you know, I still carry my uh, grandparents' cast iron pan into into the boundary waters that that we would use when we were camping. So you know, it's just like it's just that that family's the family thing. You know, it's just always been a part of what we do. So it when you say it's been with you your whole life and you're a part of this legacy, that means a lot to you. I can tell, and and that sounds like that's part of what that really is part of what fueled what you what you're doing in the wilderness now on a personal level. And that that's connected to a much bigger appreciation for the wilderness. Uh, so tell us about your trail run and sure. what's happening there. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think just a slightly other background too, I work for the campaign to save the boundary waters. You know, it's, it's not just a, a, a personal passion, but it's, you know, my career focus is just making sure the boundary waters is protected for all future generations to come. Um, so aside from all that, my other great hobby in life is trail running, <clears throat> um, which, you know, I live in Eden Prairie, so it's in just outside of the Twin Cities, Minneapolis area. Uh, there's not a lot of trails, so it's a little bit hard to do anything <laughs> like that. But, you know, get up north and there's a superior hiking trail um, that I've run on and done the, the trail races there and, and elsewhere across the country. Um, and so I got this idea to run across the boundary waters as kind of this unique hook on, you know, everybody kind of considers the boundary waters canoe country, um, but there are over 200 miles of backpack um, hiking routes as well. And so, um, you know, as a trail runner, there's an entire community of trail runners that are really engaged on protecting public lands, um, primarily because we like to have giant wide open spaces to pursue our personal pursuits. Um, 
and so if everything from you know stopping oil and and mining uh, proposals to you know what climate change is doing to the top of mountains and ridge lines in the west in particular um, that that sort of community aspect of this all uh, really inspired me to uh, use trail running as an engagement hook um, for the boundary waters. So, you know, for the campaign, we talked to clean water advocates and, and boundary waters enthusiasts and the paddling community consistently. And this is a way for me to bring in a new audience to this project or to the campaign. So um, I can, I conceive of this project uh, as a way to bring in the trail running community to, to bring awareness that these trails exist uh, one for one, um, but then also that uh, the wilderness is imperiled by the sulfide mine, sulfide or copper mining threat. Um, so, so yeah, so running through the boundary waters uh, was conceived. I started out last year, um, uh, maybe a little bit too strongly. I tried to run the border route trails my first run, and uh, how'd that go, Alex? <laughs> did not end well. Um, <laughs> I. Uh, Strategically, so I hadn't run a trail in the Boundary Waters, um, though I had run up to 50 miles on the trails in the West before. So I was confident I could do the distance. It's a 65 mile trail. Um, but uh, so I strategically picked uh, July 29th as just closest to the summer solstice that made uh, sense in our, in our schedule. Um, however, it turned out to be the hottest day of the year up here. Mm. It was 91 degrees, super high humidity, something like 70, 80%. And um, so the heat exhaustion kicked in around mile 35 or 40. Um, and that was on top of what I found out later was a broken toe due to smashing my foot on a rock at about mile 17. Just mm-hmm. clearly remember hitting a rock, <laughs> stopping to evaluate, didn't hurt too bad. Um, but then if, for those who don't know, the topography of the border route trail, it actually it climbs in elevation over 12,000 feet for the overall duration of the trail which is roughly the same as going from the base camp to the summit of Mount Everest, just as a, as a scale of the elevation climb. Um, so you were going from east to west, east to west and closer to Lake Superior and working your way up and deep. Yep. And yep. Yeah. And so you're climbing up these palisades, you know, these two 300 foot high cliffs, um, the trails kind of switch backs, go up and up and up and down them. Uh, and just that uphill really right at Rose Lake, um, falls that did my did my toe in that's when I really started to feel it and that's at mile about 42 so there's still a substantial amount of time so between heat exhaustion and you know I had to think that I could jump in a lake to cool down so I wasn't worried about safety you know, I took a took a break jumped in the lake cool down keep on going sit in a river <laughs> keep going um, but so the just kind of the confluence of heat exhaustion and my toe uh, mm. I had to bail out at the first road where Erica could pick me up at mile 56. So leave the wilderness border on the Western side and still about like five or six miles later, that's when I could be picked up uh, right just north of, of Loon Lake itself on that side. So yeah, so that was the big, the big first attempt. Um, so I didn't, didn't complete it, had nine miles to go. Oh, but... <laughs> was that, was that, uh, was it hard to call it? It was, it was, I mean, partially, I just had this this dream and I've been planning on it for at that point like a year or so mm-hmm. um, and you know I'd also kind of hyped it up and I just feeling you know, it was kind of like oh no I'm just ashamed or what are people going to think he, he quit with only nine miles to go but mm-hmm. at the same time 
<laughs> Eric wouldn't let me run through the wilderness if I didn't have solid plans, you know, to always return home <laughs> safety mm-hmm. first. So, um, it was, it made the right, you know, I, I just couldn't go at that point. I was hobbling along at like 45 minute miles. It was just, it was just painful and there's no way I could make it. So, um, yeah, it was hard, but, uh, still I was, I was determined to, to come back and do it again. So I think this is a good, I mean, so a good spot to jump in here and say, we talk a lot on the podcast about the various, um, aspects of the trip and the trip, you know, doesn't start when you, when you start the trip, it starts in the planning phase and, and you're describing a year of planning, which is a lot, um, of building and preparing for this endeavor and not in the way that probably most of our listeners, like you said, um, are used to plan a trip. You're doing a trail run. So not even a backpacking trip, which we've talked about backpacking the border route and paddling. So maybe help, set us up for what it, you know, what it's like to plan for a a run that lasts 24 hours. Um, What kind of preparations must you do? What kind of gear do you need to have with you? If any, tell us a little bit about that before we dive into your comeback. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. I mean, running this long takes a lot of prep. Uh, You know, um, Last year, just as an example, last year I ran, I finally ran the the Fall Superior, which is a hundred mile run on the on the the Superior Hiking Trail, which really kind of my my having to stop and just the lessons learned from last year's run, which was in June, um, taught me a lot about how to adequately prepare for the hundred mile race as well. Um, so that said, this it's just a lot as you'd assume a lot of running, just always running. Um, but then also running on trail as much as possible. It's a unique terrain, especially to compared to Eden Prairie where it's flat. Um, and probably compared to out West where you have, you know, different types of trail building styles. And yeah. I've, I've heard trail runners say that the Spirit and Hiking Trail is a challenging trail to run on. And I imagine the border route is too, just because it's designed so much differently than other than other racing trails in the U.S. Right. Yeah. There's no. There's. There's no like smooth single track. You know, people talk about in the West uh, or in mountains. You know, it's 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 super challenging. You're at a higher elevation, obviously, and, and a lot of times you you climb more overall. But the Superior Hiking Trail, the Border Route Trail, is just a constant grind of just up and down. Um, it's more a fast hike than it is a run. Um, cause you know, you'll hit a spot where you just have to scramble up like a four foot rock, you know, mini cliff. You can't run over that. Um, or if you're, you know, you're going up really steep hill and then you're going down the path down. It's not like you can just suddenly open up and enjoy the, the trip down and let gravity be on your side because you're going to stumble over boulders or roots or have to go down that cliff too. Um, so it's a completely different terrain. Uh, super hard. And so, yeah, I just got to focus on training on something equal to, to the overall challenge. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's the big one. But then the other side of it too, is just the nutrition. I mean, if you think about how hungry you would get sitting in your house, not eating for 24 hours, then transition that to a serious physical effort for 24 hours. You have to know how to eat while running and as much as you have to train your leg muscles and your core to keep you upright and moving for that long, you have to train your gut to accept and process food uh, during a serious physical exertion effort. 
So that's a lot. That's a lot of trial and error. Um, (laughs) Just on runs, you got to eat something and then evaluate how it went. You know, did it make your stomach upset? Could you keep it down? Did you feel a spike in energy immediately afterward? Um, And there's a lot of difference. I can only speak for myself, but for what I can eat at mile 10 versus mile 80 or Mm. in the boundary or, you know, mile, mile 60 or whatever. So um, it's a lot of just figuring that out. And I learned quite a bit last summer. Um, learned a lot during the Superior Hiking Trail run um, and other ones that I'd completed along the way too. So it's uh, coming up with what's going to work personally. Um, you know, a lot of advice and blogs and all that out there, but almost all of them inevitably say you got to find out what's going to work for yourself. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like a lot of trial and error, a lot of experimentation. You know, the question that jumps out for me, being somebody that's so unfamiliar with a, a, the run of this magnitude is, you know, what do you eat out there? <laughs> uh, so my meal plan has evolved over time. I've, got a, I've dialed it in pretty well. I have a pretty good handle on it now. The first, like up to 20 miles, I can eat kind of the more um, heavily processed, denser items. So you're thinking like cliff bars or... RX bars or, you know, this dropping name brands here, but um, like those sort of like granola bar, thicker, substantial sort of things. Um, After that, it's more, I think, I can't tell if it's both my, or if it's like my stomach just can't process something that thick, or if it's just a texture thing, because you start losing humidity or hydration and, and uh, I don't know, saliva content. Um, But it just, it just, it's harder to then just chew through something. And like it, it definitely at mile 40, if I were to try to eat like an RX bar uh, or something that thick, I, it would, it would trigger a response and I'd, I'd probably, you know, throw it up, honestly. Mm. Um, so, cause it, it just makes me feel, you know, I take a bite of it and my body's just like, no. Um, <clears throat> so at that point I start transitioning more to, I've just had to figure out what works for me. Um, and at that point it's more uh, dried, dehydrated banana chips and strawberry chips. So again, the planning thing, I buy, a, you know, several bags of bananas and boxes of, of uh, strawberries and we have a dehydrator that we use for, you know, boundary waters packing too, uh, and just, de- and just dehydrate those out and I just have them in, in bags that I can just tap into along the run. Um, and so I can, I'm pretty good with that as well as like dried mango, um, both cause it's, you know, they're all high sugar content can process them easily. I just have found I like that kind of tangy, sour, fruity flavor, the citrus acid, citric acid part of it. Um, but then, uh, so that works well. And then, and then after that, it's a lot of, it's a lot of candy. So from like mile, from this border route trail from like mile 40 to the end is pretty much Skittles. Um, <laughs> a lot of Skittles or other, other candy that I can chew through uh, and eat pretty well. Cause then at that point, it's just, uh, you just buy, it just needs sugar. Just keep yeah. turning through that. Um, but then on the other side of it, <clears throat> um, you need to replenish your salt. So um, uh, <laughs> this might sound really gross to a lot of people, but I bring A1 sauce with me. Um, <laughs> I've always liked really strong, intense flavors, and that is definitely a strong and intense flavor. And it can just take just a tiny little few drops of that, and it gives me that salt content. Mm. Um, <laughs> as well as then just electrolyte solution or powder for my the hydration bladder in my running pack um, okay. to keep that up. And I found too, I, I need a specific mix that has 
calcium and potassium in it, um, as well as the sodium, because your your muscles uh, nerves need to fire on calcium and potassium. Um, so it just really helps the science of it, just to keep your 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 muscle fibers twitching the right way. Um, it all just builds into it. So, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I I'm sure that this is all you know a big giant no duh for the um, long distance trail running community. Um, but this, I mean, this really, I think I'm glad you're explaining this because it shows what a serious undertaking this is, uh, to train your body, to know what your body can deal with in process. And, and you put a lot of time into preparing for this. And that led you up, you know, even through last year and now even more prepared coming into this year. So tell us, let's jump in, Alex. So you show up this last weekend you come up to the east side of the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness, you head up to the trailhead. What's going through your mind as you're preparing for being on the trail for this long? <laughs> uh, the main thing this time around was just don't hit a rock. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to do that. Um, I think this time around, I, it was almost more like a, I'm, I was just so glad to be on the trail again. I really felt prepared. Um, I knew this was going to be a good effort and I was just hoping that something, um, physical like that wouldn't get in my way. Mm -hmm. The weather was going to be great. It was going to be cool. Um, <clears throat> part of the other planning processes, you know, to have the right, the right gear and clothes. So I had, you know, backup dry clothing and socks to change into, um, cause it was going to be supposed to be a little mist or cool rain in the morning, which there was. Um, so, uh, and I was just, I, this, I, I love this place more than anywhere on earth. I was just so excited to get to spend 24 hours crossing 65 miles of the Superior National Forest and the Boundary Waters. So I was, I think it was a mixture of just like really excited to, 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 to do it, knowing I was prepared. Um, slight anxiety, just you never know what's going to happen. You know, um, didn't want to break a toe or worse. But uh, I was just excited to get the endeavor going. Yeah, yeah. So this mainly excitement, some uh, realistic uh, anxiety around, you know, the fact that you're in the wilderness and outside of far from from resources in case something um, unfortunate were to happen, which is like any trip. Mm -hmm. You know, what struck me, Alex, is that you so you came up and you started this you started this endeavor in the evening. Yep. And, and so let's, let's go to that evening. You're, you know, you're getting on the trail. What take us, take us through some of this. Yeah. Well, the evening part, that was another part when we were talking strategic planning. Uh, I, since I was, I knew it was going to be running for 24 hours, which means, you know, especially at this time of year, half of it's going to be in the dark about 11 hours of it anyway. Um, so I figured I should probably just get that part of it done in the beginning when my legs are fresh than trying to navigate trail, uh, when I'm just physically and mentally exhausted, mm -hmm. uh, which I think paid off. Um, also I tend to start running maybe too fast and this was a way to also force me to slow down. You know, you move a little bit slower at night. So save my legs a, a little bit for the second half. Um, so yeah, I set off about six 30, which gave me about an hour and 15 minutes until I needed a headlamp. 
um, which was all also perfect. Last summer I left at 4 a.m. and ran the first 10 miles or so in the dark. This time, the beginning of the border route trail is just off the the Arrowhead um, trail, the road that leads to the trailhead um, north of Grand Marais out of Hovland. Um, and only a mile in is the 270 lookout. It's this, you know, re- kind of relatively famous spot where there's a peninsula that sticks out and you can see 270 degrees around and you're up on top looking out over the net Superior National Forest. And I hit it right at sunset. So it was gorgeous. Oh. It was like just the, the best beginning mm-hmm. to the trail I could have had. Um, yes, there was this, like, up. Yeah, it was just like perfectly that kind of mixture of partially cloudy, uh, clear sky. So the clouds are catching the sunlight of the sunset really well. So it was just the pinks and oranges of a beautiful sunset uh, right at golden hour. And it was just, it was just awesome. So stop there. Um, got to got to get a few pictures, you know, uh, just kind of said thanks for where I was um, in this moment in time and, and then continued on. Um, I like that. Like, great. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely just gratitude for for where I was and appreciating how I got there. Um and so then after that it was it was just, you know, keep moving along, left foot, right foot, avoid those rocks. Um so <laughs> yeah. And then then darkness hit, got the something got the headlamp on and and uh continued on for the next <laughs> ten hours until I eleven hours until light came up again. So is that kind of a blur for you? Does it all start to blur together? Do you, are you aware of the passage of time? Are you checking um, your watch, or do you go into another zone? And it is it is kind of another zone. Uh, I think in every trail race I've ever done, it's kind of like how did eighteen hours just pass? It, <laughs> it's a it's a different it's a surreal experience when you get done in the middle of it yeah it's hard you know sometimes moment by moment mile by mile or step by step um but time does pass pretty quickly um i just find myself just running and then i check my watch and uh suddenly i've gone five miles more and i didn't really notice the passage of time and at that speed i'm going to that's you know can be like an hour and a half so it does the the time does pass a bit quickly that sort of you know i've I do a little bit of trail running more like, you know, five or six miles, not what you're talking about, but I know that there's a weird balance between sort of not thinking too much, but having to think enough to, I mean, there's a, maybe it's different for you, but the mental challenge of just paying attention to where you're moving. Yeah. Rocky terrain. I mean, does that get mentally taxing or do you just, does it just start to become a muscle memory? It, 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 it can be, but it does, I think more so just the muscle memory, just, you just get into a rhythm of it. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like anything that you do kind of repetitively for a long time, like driving. I mean, you're always <clears throat> looking ahead it, reflexively, you know, when a turn is coming, um, you have to anticipate that well in advance. Cause you know, your car is going 50 miles an hour and you got to adjust and, and expect that. And so it's, 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 uh, it's looking ahead. Um, you know, you see a, a, a fallen tree or a, a rock that you can have to maneuver around and your body just kind of can adjust the cadence of your steps. So you have to, yeah, it just, the, you just adjust to the train. Um, and at a, at a certain point it just kind of becomes second nature and you, you just keep going. 
Yeah. And so you're moving kind of in that second nature moment through the darkness. You have that illumination, that little bubble of light around you that is cast by your headlamp. Um, any, was there an unforeseen things? Did anything jump out? You know, it's the, it's high bear activity time of year up here. Was any surprises or did it go pretty smooth and flawlessly during that darkness period of the run? Pretty smooth and flawless. Um, actually, I think partially, you know, I'm, it's the dead of night. I'm crashing through the woods. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm, I'm definitely scaring off anything ahead of time. Uh, thankfully, uh, in this area, you know, unlike grizzlies in the West, black bears are pretty scared of humans. You know, they, they kind of bolt as soon as they get a whiff or a sound of something big that they don't understand. Mm -hmm. Um, so I wasn't too concerned about bears or anything like that. The only, I guess two maybe scary points were, uh, the rough grouse (laughs) that would be, um, you know, sleeping on the forest floor on a branch right above me and you hit that, you just get right by them and suddenly they just explode uh, up into the air. And that can be terrifying <laughs> in the middle of the night, um, yes. which uh, happened several times because you just can't expect it. Um, <laughs> and keeps the, you tuned in, right? <laughs> yeah, it definitely keeps you tuned in. Um, and then this. <laughs> The second is, you know, uh, I was talking about the, the 200, 300 foot palisade cliffs. Um, mm-hmm. There was one time in particular where a tree had fallen right at the fork in the path, where it was either the main path went left or one of the paths to the vista points. It was the middle of the night, so I'm not planning on stopping to take in the, the sweeping views. Um, but I missed the, the axle path because of this tree. And, you know, I can only see like 15, 20 feet ahead of me and I'm kind of lumbering along and then suddenly i'm just noticing there's literally nothing on the oh. other side of my headlamps light oh uh, so that was definitely like stop <laughs> reevaluate turn around um just had to <laughs> find the actual path and then keep going again so in a uh, moment of uh unawareness you could have gone for a flight yeah yeah pretty mm. quickly so yeah um and so that again that's that's uh know your know your surroundings and know your limit um that was at mile 25 i believe and so i i got back on the path and i i just kind of realized you know that was here's something that could have gone wrong uh so i took um what uh courtney dwalter minnesota native uh uh fellow trail runner um calls dirt naps (laughs) and i just lay down on the trail and took a took a nap for five minutes Mm. Um, just to kind of reset, recharge my batteries a little bit, just to gain a little bit of alertness. Um, so I took two, two dirt naps overnight, just a quick five, seven minute, uh, pauses where I'd actually sleep, uh, just to get going. This is fascinating. I'm I'm not, I wasn't aware of this, this idea, but so do you set an alarm? Do you close your eyes and are you just out? I mean, is this something you have to train yourself for? Um, no, I, I would set an alarm. Uh, just because I didn't want to fall asleep and then wake up and it's daylight and it just lost eight hours. Right. Um, <laughs> Erica would be really upset if she just saw the dot and she was on, because I was carrying a GPS thing, tracker with me and I'm not moving for eight hours. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so definitely set an alarm um, so I'd wake up. But uh, uh, yeah, I was able to fall asleep pretty quickly. Um, just uh, just obviously I was tired and, and exhausted and um, it's a light sleep, but it's just enough to just to, kind of feel refreshed and alert and considerably more alert. Mm-hmm. Valuable, uh, given yeah. that situation that you just yeah. described. 
<laughs> so the dirt naps are those both in the night. Uh, we're still talking the darkness period here. And how and what? How many miles did you put in under cover of darkness with this little beam of your headlamp guiding you? Let's see. I'd guess probably like thirty-five miles. No, but thir- maybe thirty miles. I think where light came up again. I was approaching Rove Lake, just near Rose Lake on the eastern side. So that'd be about 25 to 30 miles under cover of darkness. Okay, so you about a third? About a little, about half, a little bit under half, yeah. Okay, of this run. And, and it sounds like, so, I mean, if I were you, that'd be, if I were you, the sunrise would be something I'd be looking forward to. Yeah. Yeah, the sunrise is really invigorating. You know, the light comes back um, naturally. I mean, you're sleeping in bed and the sunlight comes in the window. You know, that's your body's cue to wake up. Uh, and so just being in being in sync with with Earth's rhythms, sunlight comes up and it's like a its own jolt of energy again. And it makes it easier, you can see. <laughs> a little bit better. And you were in a really gorgeous section of the wilderness. You know, that rove, rose. I mean, that that portion of the border lakes looking to the north yeah uh, it's full of stunning and you're at the top of these stunning cliffs looking out over the part that the majority of travelers never see that view right when yeah you get to appreciate that alex when you're running does that does that sense of awe and appreciation do you still feel that yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons I I do this. One's the advocacy side of it, but it's you know it's just this place of personal refuge and mm-hmm. absolute love for. Um, so yeah, I mean, as soon as the sun came up, I would come across these vista points. You know, right at Rose Lake, there's a a series of cliffs where you can where it's cleared out. Uh, you can just stand there and just look. It's also just the most beautiful time of year with the fall colors just popping. Um, there's one valley uh, on the west side of of Rose Lake Falls that's all like maples, so it's just just sweeping red uh, and orange gradient against the the green pines and the the poplar and the aspen that just haven't quite uh, or the birch that haven't quite changed yet, so they're kind of turning that lime green in the early fall. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just it was just beautiful, and it was a blue sky at that point too, and so it was just. It was just magnificent. Mm. Sounds incredible. Yeah. And, I mean, what a great point to have that experience. This, the, the day you're halfway through the trip, the sun is up. I would imagine you're seeing all this beauty, being, that being very invigorating to continue yeah. to move forward. What did the daytime bring? Um, the, the daytime, I mean, it was, again, I think it really paid off to do the 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 nighttime part of it first because uh, right at that part it's the hardest part of the trail uh technically speaking the rose lake i think i'd have to look at the elevation map but if it's not the highest point it is one of the highest points of the border out and but then it goes up it goes down it goes up again it goes down again i mean the middle 20 miles or so is the most challenging so having the daylight come back is just that invigorating part to get over that part of it and then to see the forest that I'm running through again. Cause you know, at night I'm just in this kind of like cone of light. The other part of the night part of it was that it was a new moon and it was cloudy. And so there was just absolutely no light at all. At one, about every nine miles I would purposefully stop just to give my legs a rest and eat 
Um, and at one of these stops, I just, I turned my headlamp off completely and just, it felt like I was just bathing in darkness. It was just so thick and so close. Like just couldn't see my own nose. Um, and the, just to have that immersive, just blackout experience of just the wilderness at night. <laughs> but then through all that, you know, I miss one, one of the most, the things I love most about the Boundary Waters is just the virgin forest um, sections of it that are still around uh, and just running amongst three, 400 year old trees uh, that have been there forever. And so to, uh, to get to see those more clearly uh, is very exciting. You know, you've got the, on the closer to the water on the Northern slopes, the, the, the cedar groves, and then the up on top or um, on the Southern side, the white pines and the red pines are growing and you just get these trees. You just can't even come close to wrapping your arms halfway around of which I'm a proud tree hugger. I stopped and hugged quite a few trees along the way. Um, not a joke uh that uh that just they're just magnificent just sentinels of the forest and to to be able to see them uh by light of day was was fantastic alex i'm so glad you shared that that really makes me have to ask so did you in this other way i know you were alone on human standards but did you feel alone with so many kindred spirits out there with yourself. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good thought. I don't know if I really thought about that. Um, I guess not really at no point that I feel alone, you know, I guess it's, uh, I'm just in the, the place that I love experiencing the things that I love, <laughs> even the, the rough grouse that are exploding above my head. You know, that's just a unique thing, uh, to, to witness and be a part of too. So and you got a lot of hugs along the way. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, everybody loves a good hug. <laughs> and in the socially distant time, there's, those are hard and harder to come by. So they are find a, find a tree and give it some love. And I'm guessing you weren't wearing a mask on this run. Did not have to wear a mask. No, I had a, just cause it was cold. I had a buff. Uh, also just in case there were some hikers along the way, mm-hmm. um, you know, just to, to be respectful of where, where I'm at, where they're at, uh, I would have had to use it, but I didn't come within close proximity to anybody. So I didn't have to worry about that. Nice. So, I mean, I, I can tell like you're, so you're moving through this, this progression and it sounds like there's a lot of joy amongst probably, probably physical pain as well. Um, was there a point where that really started to catch up with you, the physical uh, aspect of it, or, or did that not, were you too carried by all of this beauty to even be worried by it? No, there, there was definitely the, um, the physical exhaustion part. Um, it, like it, uh, it rained, uh, just a little bit, kind of a mist for a couple hours and that made my feet really wet uh, and start feeling that in the bottom of my feet. Um, so I had to change my shoes, but then, or my socks, but then that only lasts for you know, like 10, 15 minutes. Um, it's more of a mental boost than anything. Uh, so I was feeling it, you know, I've got blisters on my feet now, still uh, uh, a toenail that I, I did hit a rock, not severely, but a toenail that I'm going to lose, you know, that, that hurts a little bit. But then, yeah, your legs get exhausted. Your, your back is tired from carrying a, a pack full of water for 24 hours and food and extra clothes. Um, not to mention the the constant grind of up and down and over boulders and dodging left and right to avoid rocks and sticks and branches and stuff like that. So it's physically physically exhausting. Um, at, at one point too, you know, it's one of the, you, you feel your limit where you can't can't eat the thing that you maybe had planned or I just, I 
uh, you know, had some stomach dis- discomfort, nothing serious, but I had a little bit of trouble eating for a little bit. Um, so that kind of slows you down, but then got through that little aspect of it and was able to, 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 you know, get back on my nutrition plan and, and keep moving. So some of it just kind of getting through that, that, uh, little pain cave part, but there's a lot on the other end and just pushing through to, to get through it. You know, and so you're moving along, I mean, it's the border route trail, right? So you're moving along the border and you're approaching, you know, I imagine you're, uh, as you get closer to Gunflint, um, and I imagine you went from Gunflint all the way to the magnetic, uh, rock trailhead. Yep. Um, you know, you mentioned a, a point that was discouraging with your digestion, was there a point where you thought, oh man, like I do want to call this or, um, <laughs> I mean, there's a part where you're kind of like, do I have to do the last nine miles? Um, you, Which you hadn't first... done yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I hadn't done that yet. Um, where it's like, well, I've, I hit a road. I could definitely, I could call it if I had to, but no, I mean the, the overall, the overwhelming sense that I was, I was motivated to finish it. I was still feeling like I definitely had the nine miles in me to go again. Um, wasn't did not feel like I was needing to to bag it this time I was I was more so glad to finish the last uh, the last four miles of my run were actually the fastest four miles I just I hit that last part and it was just the adrenaline of finishing it uh successfully just kind of kicked in and and you know that the the old high school cross-country race mentality of leave it all on the on the track um I was kind of kicking in and it was just like just get it done so uh kind of breathes through the last three, four miles and hit that, hit the last trailhead. And that was, that was that. Did you have a welcome party, Alex? Yeah. Erica and the kids met me there. They, uh, <laughs> they had some, uh, I don't know what they're called. The, like the, the bam, bam blow up sticks, like the balloon things <laughs> that are long that the kids blew up. So they were clapping those and mm-hmm. threw them in the air when I got there and just gave me a big hug, oh. um, to, to welcome me back. So that, that was, that was, that felt good. That was exciting. I mean, really, it sounds like an amazing experience um, to to commit yourself so fully to something that is really so physically challenging uh, for a reason that matters to you um, and to have the full support of people who sounds like really love and support you. I mean, this sounds like an amazing experience. And I guess I think it'd be really nice just to hear you talk about how this motivation that you had to do this. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, imagine there's some pride and accomplishment in that, but that it doesn't sound like that was all of it for you. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, I've a lot of motivation is coming from just, I've, I've met (laughs) online, you know, it's a new world we're in, but these, these new kind of trail running friends that I've never met uh, just because I've seen what I'm doing. They think it's pretty awesome. Um, And you know, some of them are doing their own pursuits of, uh, and just the, the community aspect of it and feeding into my overall goal, goal of bringing people's awareness to this. On my website that I linked to, I've collected over 500 signatures for our, our campaign in support of advocating for permanent protections for the Boundary Waters. I've been raising money. And so it's for the cause. It's, it's, been, uh, it's been just gratifying that it, it does seem like it's something that just because of the unique twist to it, the advocacy behind it, that it's, it's, it's been helping. It's been helping save the boundary waters. So that's, 
that's been just that alone is just invigorating. Yeah, that matters. That matters a ton. Yeah. So when you think about, I mean, this isn't over for you. This is just one component of this larger process that you've committed yourself to. What's what's it like looking ahead? Are you sort of resting in the fact that you've completed this? Is there some anticipation that's building for the next? Where are you at at this moment? Yeah, this, uh, I mean, this was, this was the big one. Um, So the overall project this year is to run all the the major trails in the boundary waters that are more than 20 miles in length. Um, So I've run four segments leading up to this one. So this was the fifth one. Um, And then I've got the Kekakavik Trail and the Pow Wow Trail yet to come. So it's, I'm excited about those. I ran the Kek last fall. Uh, and had a great run. Um, excited to do it again. And then, I, but I've never done the powwow trail, so I get to see an, just another 32 miles of the wilderness that I've never experienced before. Um, that uh, that I'm pretty excited for. So, right now is definitely just resting and getting over the muscle soreness and stretching and making sure that I'm giving my body the rest it needs. But in a couple of weeks, I'll be I'll be ready for the for the next part. Yes, that's exciting. And my hope is that we meet up with you again and are able to follow you on this journey to support you and uh, to share the story with the the Boundary Waters Wilderness community. It, it means as much to us, I think, as it does to you, Alex. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much. I'm thrilled to, to get to talk about it. It's fun to, fun to relive it <laughs> just by by speaking it out, just get to to kind of crawl back through the memories and just relive it. It's, it's a unique experience. Well, we've been talking with Alex Falconer. He is a long distance trail runner and an advocate for the Boundary Waters. Thank you so much, Alex. Really appreciate it and look forward to going along with you on the rest of this. Awesome. Thanks so much. Well, Joe, I'm sorry to have to say goodbye to you on this beautiful day in the Boundary Waters. <laughs> yeah, it's been, uh, you know, that interview with Alex was awesome. It, it hopefully is, you know, opening up people's minds to other things you can do. So I think we just continue to, and when we set out to, when we started the podcast, it was, you know, winter travel, winter camping, and canoe travel. And I guess, in the summer. And, yeah, and then in border, you know, some hiking. Mm-hmm. But now we've gotten into, hunting and trail running and so many other things day tripping there's just so many things that you can do about the wilderness that that aren't just the standard i'm gonna book a vacation and go on a canoe trip mm-hmm. there's so much more to the boundary waters to this place than mm-hmm. than just that it's so much more and it's so much more than what you even do here i think it's it's about who you are here and what this place allows you to be. And that can take so many manifestations, Joe. It sure can. I was really feeling that uh, heading out this morning. You know, we talk sometimes about the wilderness line, the imaginary line that separates the wilderness and paddling out. And as the sun was coming up this morning and that beautiful sunrise and now looking across the lake and the tamarack gold. And mm, it's like, yeah, beautiful. it's it's an imaginary line, you know, in, in theory or on paper or whatever, but... There is something just incredible about being in the wilderness. 
mm-hmm. that stands apart from from anything that I've ever known. I can't think of a better place to be right now. Okay, very good. Well, you guys enjoy the rest of your trip. I'm gonna get moving, and we'll we'll see you down down the lake somewhere. Bye. I just sing when I paddle through, feeling not thinking if the strokes are true. We're gonna get through to the other side. Out in the night, the waves beat the shore. You can hear 'em pounding, you can hear 'em roar. Roll me, rock me in my dreams. You can roll me, rock me in my dreams. So I like to sing, I love to dance, I play the fool if I got the chance. All around the campfire light, all around. Campfire light, all round, all round, all round. The campfire light.